We're going to get started in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk to you about Anchor by Spotify. It is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. This is what I use for my podcast, and it is fantastic. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. show today. Very glad to have you with me and looking forward to uh, what is an incredible conversation. And I don't want to take a lot of time leading up to it. I want to get into it. But before we get there, I will remind you, uh, when you have some time after this show, if you're not watching this, if you're listening on Mojo 5.0 or you're listening to the podcast version of this, take some time to jump over to YouTube. You can find my channel. Look for me. Go to YouTube. Search for Jeremy Stalnecker. You'll find my channel there. Uh, you can go ahead and subscribe. I'd encourage you to do that. Hit the notification bell, and this and all of the content that I drop there will come up for you, and uh, I'd love to uh, share that time with you. Uh, one of the great things about YouTube is you can watch it, you can comment, you can share it out, and uh, there's a bit of a community there, so please take some time to check that out. Also, if you'd like to learn more about me, you can go to jeremystalnicker.com, jeremystalnicker.com. That is my blog that is the place where you'll find all of the connections to socials and so forth, uh, as well as this episode of this show. You'll find all of that there. And then finally, the last place I'll point you to is our organization website, the organization, the foundation that I work with and for, the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Go to mightyoaksprograms.org, mightyoaksprograms.org. You will find out what we do how we do it, who we serve, and uh, we're very grateful for the opportunity to serve veterans and active duty service members as well as first responders. So please take some time to go check that out as well. That's all I'm going to say on that today. My guest today is someone that I have been looking forward to speaking with. Pastor Rob McCoy from Godspeak Calvary Chapel is with us. That is in Thousand Oaks, California. And a lot of folks may be unfamiliar with Godspeak and with Pastor McCoy, but if you live in California, certainly you have heard of him and the church. As the coronavirus craziness took hold this last year, many churches not only closed, but stayed closed. Most churches closed for a period of time, and by closed I mean in-person services. They went online and did as much virtually as they could. Uh, most did. We didn't know what the pandemic was going to look like or how that was all going to unfold. But when it became clear that things weren't exactly all that we had been told, many churches decided they could no longer stop having in-person services. One of the very first churches to do that was Godspeed Calvary Chapel, and Pastor McCoy became a voice in our state for standing up for our religious freedom, standing up for the right to assemble and all that goes along with that. 
And, uh, man, he's been such a beacon of light, and their church has in our state. And I think representing Christians, really, not just in California, but across the country. So grateful for him and for their ministry. And it is my honor to be able to share this conversation with Pastor Rob McCoy with you. Pastor Rob McCoy, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. It's a joy to be with you. You... Uh, you have done uh, so much, and I said this before we started recording, but um, the last year you have really stood up, and other pastors have, of course, but um, stood up in a real way for all of us in California, and I just want to start by saying thank you for what you and your church have been, been willing to do. No, well, I, I appreciate you thanking me, um, but with your service to our country, thank you. I, I've always felt my, my role is to make this a country worth fighting for, and um, you know what all, what all our veterans have done um, it, it needs to be a nation we're proud of. And I think the churches have a huge role and responsibility for that. Yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately, it's a role that a lot of churches are struggling to get their hands around right now, um, yeah. which makes, you know, what you guys have done and, and uh, Grace Community and other churches who have really taken the lead on that has been so helpful. Um, but culture is strange right now. Maybe it's always been strange, but it's more apparently strange right now. And we see things around us, and I think particularly as Christians, we see what's happening around us, and we talk about the power of the gospel. We talk about the Great Commission and what it means, and Christ saying, you know, all power is given unto me. Now go and do something with that. We talk about that power. We talk about the importance of faith. And I think a lot of Christians are struggling to see the impact of that are struggling as they look around and, and wondering, does it really make a difference? If it does make a difference, why am I not seeing that? Um, how, how do we adjust our perspective on, on what we're seeing take place right now? Jeremy, that's a, that's a great question. It's, it's one of the best I've heard. And you began with the Great Commission, where the Lord says, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say make converts. He said right. make disciples. And he didn't say just make disciples. He said, make disciples of all nations, which are boundaries, borders, constitutions, ideologies, because in the 6,000 years of recorded history, uh, we have this blip on the screen of a constitutional republic called the United States of America. 6,000 years, years of recorded history, almost every nation has been an oligarchy where the few rule the many. And 66 books of the Bible, cover to cover, uh, it's summed up that Christ has come to set the captives free. Right. He's come to set us free from our own sin, uh, that which enslaves us. And he's also come corporately to set mankind free because we've been created in his image. And, and he wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to have life and life more abundant. So we, we look at, you know, what difference has it made? And, and that's a fascinating concept because it strikes me today that the church has truncated or caused the gospel to be myopic. And when we yeah. say gospel, we mean the Greek word oulangelion, which means good news, that, that Christ has remedied this, this systemic issue of sin by his death upon the cross and his propitiation of his righteousness on our account. And he set us right with a father that we can be re reconnected, which is the real word for religion, to be reconnected, relangari. And and it's unlike any religion in the world. But if all we're doing is causing people to raise their hand and to say, God bless you, I see your hand. And we've, yeah. we've led them on the Ro Romans road and they've, they've confessed their sin and they've received his gift of salvation. It, it's, 
it's truncated the gospel because Jesus didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. Yeah, so right. our, our role, and this is, this is where we've kind of gotten derailed. Uh, we've forgotten who we are. Mm. And, and Jesus always said, or excuse me, the, the, the Father always said, remember. So when you had three to five million Jews enslaved in Egypt, and they cried out to God for freedom. They, they worked all day and enriched another human being and, and got no benefit for their labors, slavery. So, so they cry out to God and God sends an 80-year-old man by the name of Moses. And he confronts Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. Yeah. And Pharaoh, the tyrant, says, who is God that I should obey him? Mm-hmm. He doubles the brick output and reduces the materials. And the people who wanted freedom don't complain to Pharaoh they want to kill Moses. Yeah. People want freedom. They just don't want to fight for it. And they, they don't want, want it to cost them anything. And the church has gotten to a place where it's content in its materialism. It's content with its, its place of affluence. Um, our music industry in the, in the church is the same as it is in the secular world. Our, our churches are, are about buildings and budgets. And, yeah. and that's how we, that's how we measure, uh, uh, register success. Yeah. The interesting thing is Matthew 16, 18, and, and I'll conclude with this. Jesus took these Jewish Orthodox boys from Galilee with a long walk up to the headwaters of the Jordan in Caesarea Philippi, which is a park-like setting. I've been to Israel, almost I think, 14 times. And when you get up there, you realize that every culture that occupied that region set up a, a temple to their god or goddess in this Caesarea Philippi region because it's so resplendent. And when you get up there, you see it carved into the cliffs, all of these different temples. So Jesus brings these Orthodox boys up with him, and they're surrounded by Romans, probably, you know, bathing. There's probably a lot of in, in, crazy stuff their sure, their sure. Uh, eyes had never witnessed. Yeah. And in the cacophony of noise of these cultures worshiping different deities, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? Mm. And some say you're Hmm. Jeremiah, others say John the Baptist. He says, but who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, meaning you're the Messiah. You're the savior of the world. And and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And then he says this, upon this rock, I will build my, and everyone says church. Yep. That's not the word. Hmm. That word didn't come till hundreds of years later. Jesus didn't use a religious term. He didn't say synagogue for synagogue. He didn't say temple. He co-opted a secular term that had been in use for hundreds of years prior to his usage of that. And Tyndale, when he made the first English-speaking Bible, translated from the original language into the English, which transformed the Western world, he translated that word correctly. And for translating that one word correctly, he was hung and his remains were burned by the king. He translated it ecclesia, not as church. He translated it assembly, better described. Aristotle pointed out the ecclesia, the ecclesia, was where the citizens of the Greek state would gather and they would fast and pray. And above the door of the ecclesia, they put two words, isonomia and eleutheria, which meant freedom and equality mm. or liberty and equality. And, and, and they, would, they would deliberate on the welfare of their community. So with that being said, let's translate it differently. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my public square. I'll build my city hall. I'll build my school board. 
I'll build the assembly of saints who contend for yeah. the freedom of their neighbors. Yeah. And the gates of hell, which enslave, will not prevail. Christ has come to set the captives free. Liberty is not man's idea. It's God's idea. And the pulpit should be the, the place that proclaim that. Because Galatians 3 says that the law is a school teacher, guardian, to point us to Christ until faith comes. And so when our founders established the laws of nature and nature's God, we're all under that. And when we recognize it, it points to our, our Savior. But the church has abdicated its responsibility of the law. We've relegated it to the law is there to show us we can't keep it and that we're saved by grace through faith. Well, there's more to the law. The law is the wise restraints that make men free. If we pl apply restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence, but what's happened is we've weaponized the law to enslave people as opposed to setting them free. And that's the great problem. I said that was the last part. This is the last part. <laughs> I, I got to add it. The next last part. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. When a, when a preacher looks at it, right. it means absolutely <laughs> it means nothing. nothing. <laughs> yeah. uh, these three to five million Jews wanted to kill Moses, but with the, the 10 plagues, the last one being the Passover, the angel of death, Pharaoh relents, lets them go, realizes he's losing his slave economy, sends his military full force after the Hebrews. They end up, um, you know, being trapped by two mountain ranges and the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. And again, they complain to Moses. Moses prays, parts the Red Sea, God allows light to guide the Hebrews to the other side, uh, you know, enveloping darkness to confuse the Egyptians, separates them and then drowns the entirety of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. They get into the wilderness, which is the desert. God provides manna every day, water every day, quail blown off course so food comes out their nostrils, meat. Their clothes don't wear out, shoes don't wear out. They leave with all the wealth of the Egyptians, miracle after miracle, but here it is. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He gets a downloaded moral app, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He comes down. The entire nation is in debauchery, golden calf, and, and they're worshiping. And Moses instructs the children and places the law in the center of the community. And, and, and Jethro comes to him when he's ruling, and, and his father-in-law says, look, you, you can't do this alone. You have to appoint godly men who are not covetous, who love the law over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, federal, state, county, local. So he gives us a republic, and the constitution of that republic is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. From the moral law comes civil law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So three to five million Jews, greatest miracle, here it is, three to five million Jews live together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army. Right, right. First five commandments, our relationship to God. Second five, our relationship to each other. That's why our nation, conceived in liberty, declared that we have been created, endowed by our creator. Four times in the Declaration of Independence, God is listed. The separation of powers through the three branches of government, executive, legislative, judicial, Isaiah, God is our king, our lawgiver, and our judge. We don't teach this anymore. So the church has forgotten who they are. We are, we are the, the, we declare liberty, the Liberty Bell, Leviticus 2510, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all its inhabitants. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. We've turned it into a business and our people are enslaved. And now we're capitulating to tyranny for the sake of a, 
a bowl of red bean soup, we've lost our birthright. So well stated. And with that in mind, the Bible is very clear on what the church should be doing and how the church should. We, we would say engage culture. Right? I think really what you're explaining is, is build culture. I mean, it should be built on the foundation of, of Scripture and, and what God has told us to do. And yet the church, as you mentioned, has capitulated um, basically everything <laughs> to those who have no regard for God or his law or his word to us. Why, why is that? And I've struggled with this as someone who you know, has been involved in ministry, has pastored a church, uh, knows a lot of good pastors. And has defended our country. And, and I have been a part of the defense of you know, the liberty that we enjoy. And it's, it's troubling to see that taken away. And we look, look around and say, well, who's going to stand up for truth and who's going to stand up for right? Again, there are people doing that. But, but why aren't churches? Why aren't pastors? And I'm not talking about people who are willing to, you know, sell out because there's a, a larger agenda in their own mind. But honest and sincere men who are leading churches, why are they struggling so much with this? So when you truncate the gospel and simplify it to the raising of a hand and and you don't see the greater role that you are to as it says in second corinthians 3 17 the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there's liberty when we lose the bigger picture of our calling that we're to make disciples it's a lot easier for a pastor because look we're peacemakers we don't like conflict and, and so we say that politics is dirty, but, but any pastor who's pastored knows that the church is filled with politics. <laughs> sure, Everything about the right. church is political. Right. We just don't want to educate ourselves on the greater political realm. But Aristotle said the highest form of community mm -hmm. is politics because it combines morality with sociability. And we always say this, we say politics is dirty. Well, yeah, so's the church, but what's your point? And then you'll hear pastors say, well, I'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, unless Jesus is running for office, you'll always be voting for the lesser two evils. <laughs> right, right. We, it, it doesn't mean that we're allowed to abdicate our responsibility because politics is downstream from culture. Mm. But the church should be upstream from culture driving that's culture. Yeah, that's great. And, and what we've done is we've adapted to culture instead of drive it. So, for example, when we remove our responsibility in the public square, it's easier to adapt and then to twist scripture to justify. So when you see a pastor putting up a black tile for Black Lives Matter, what they're saying, or even when they use the word social justice, they're empathetic and they see social wrongs and they want justice. I get it. But the secular progressive left, especially critical race theory, does not believe in absolute truth or the Enlightenment thinkers or empirical data. They, they don't believe that. So they change the definition of words. Social justice to the pastor doesn't mean the same to the critical race theorists. Right, right. So right. when you're posting a black tile, you're embracing, in a sense, Marxism. And, and here's, here's the kicker. I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor. I've lived in California my whole life. I was born here. My dad was born here, my grandfather. Calvary Chapel started in California in 1968 with Chuck Smith. Yeah. He looked down at a sea of, of broken humanity with these hippies who had been disillusioned and had lost all of their heroes by assassination. Bobby Kennedy, Reverend King, uh, JFK. Yeah. 
we, they were going through the Vietnam War in 68, the My Lai Massacre in 68, the Tet Offensive in 68. The next year, you'd have the Kent State shooting. And, and you're, you're watching in 1968 the fabric of this country being torn apart, and our young people are checking out of the church into Eastern religions and drug use, experimental drug use, and they're burned out on the shores of California. And Chuck and Kay look out, and they see all this broken humanity and they decide to reach out to them. Now, remember in 68 in California, Reagan was governor. Yeah. We had the fifth largest GDP. It was the state of the future. It was solidly red. Uh, we had, th this, was, this was the state where the entire space industry existed. We had just completed the California Aqueduct, a marvel in engineering, taking water from the Sierras and, and, and watering the most fertile farmland in the world. The, the, the San Joaquin Valley produces more cotton than the entire South combined. Yep. So Chuck steps up in 68 and avoids politics because these kids are burned out. And I get why he did it. And, and I owe being a pastor and my knowledge of scripture to Chuck. I, I'm not dismissing the, 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 the credit to him for blessing my life. I love that man. He, he, he's blessed me immensely. However, and Chuck, even when I saw him the last time, admitted this. Because he avoided politics. And the church was apolitical. And he just simply stu uh, stayed to teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, keeping the main thing, the plain thing, and the plain thing, the main thing. Yeah. And then he brought in syncopated rhythms with Maranatha music, mega church. Calvary Chapel in those 50 years since 68 plus has experienced 10,000% growth, 1,800 churches around the world. South of Van Nuys, there's over 350 Calvary chapels. There's more Calvary chapels south of Van Nuys than there are Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> At one point, three of the 10 largest churches in America were Calvary chapels. So that's conversion growth, not transfer growth. So how has it affected the state of California since the lion's share of 1,800 of those churches are in California? How's it affected the state? We're no longer the fifth largest GDP, we're the sixth. Yeah. We now have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We lead the nation in debt. You take the next four largest states' debt, and combine it, it doesn't equal California's debt. We're the authors of No Fault Divorce that Reagan signed in 69 and became law in 70 that decimated marriage across the country. We're the authors of Transgender Bathroom Bills, the most secular progressive sexual education curriculum in the world. You can't even read a page of it without being nauseated. You can't say it in church. And here's the kicker. Since 73, we've aborted more babies. We lead the nation. We've aborted more babies, it's estimated, than the entire population of Canada. And we don't just abort them. We harvest their body parts yeah. while they're living and then flush the remains into the sewer systems of our state. So when you're posting a black tile, you realize that BLM is linked to Planned Parenthood. They support them and Planned Parenthood supports BLM, vice versa. 13% of America is black. You cut it in half male, female, 6.5% female, childbearing years, 4%. 4% of the nation's population is responsible for over 35% of the abortions. It is a holocaust on the black community. They don't give a flying flip about black lives. And when you post that tile, you are advocating the holocaust of the black community in America. And when you abdicate your responsibility in the ecclesia, while we've been busy doing church, yeah. the secular progressive left has dominated the ecclesia. Right. right. And we have relegated our children to indoctrination while we've been running after the brass ring 
on the merry-go-round. And that's why churches are folding because they have never been equipped to contend in the public square. So the response to all of that from a lot of Christian people is, okay, fine. I do care about politics. I do care about my country. But in a state like California and many other states across the country, we're just too far gone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move my family to a red community where people think like me and act like me and vote like me. And then I can be involved in politics. And I've heard you talk on this a little bit kind of the philosophy of stay and fight versus, you know, I, I would say turn and run. Others would say, would not say it exactly like that. But can, can you break that down a little bit? Because I think that's so central to what you're saying. We decided we wouldn't fight. And then there came the fight came to us. And now we've just decided to run away. I think many people. How, how do you break that down? Well, let's take a look at, at uh, Focus on the Family with Dr. James Dobson. Big hero of mine. Love that man. Started in Pomona, California. The yeah. ministry flourished. It exploded. California imploded. They left the state and went to a red state, Colorado. Mm. <laughs> How's Colorado doing? Yeah, sure, sure. It's blue, like dark blue. It's so bad. You're, you're running from your responsibility. Now, listen, you rise and fall before one master. And for some folks, I get it. They're called sure. out of, of the course. state. Of course. But if you're running from the ability to stand, well, that's a problem. If your job transfers you, I get it. But if you're running from the problem, then you're taking the problem mm -hmm. to the next state because you're the problem. Yeah. And, and I, would, I would say this. If you think California is so far gone, uh, I'm glad the Lord doesn't think like you do. And, and <laughs> don't forget, sure. one in nine Americans fought the Revolutionary War. Mm. You look at December of 1776, after we had signed the Declaration of Independence, and our founders pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And if they wouldn't stand together, they would hang together. And, and so they pledge everything, and they lose battle after battle after battle from July 4th. Washington's trapped on 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 Manhattan, the British are surrounding with the fleet. By a miracle, the winds hold off the yeah. British fleet. At night, he's able to cross the East River and to get out of Manhattan. They winter up in Valley Forge, where a third of them are dying of dysentery. And, and what's left of the Continental Forces is just absolutely decimated. And by January 1, the conscriptions would be up and the war would be over. And this liberty we've enjoyed this experiment would never have occurred and and of the two-thirds that are remaining uh, another third of them didn't didn't have boots they had to wrap their feet in burlap yeah. sacks yeah. they marched 11 miles to trenton under the the inspiration of an article written by an agnostic named thomas Paine. it was called the american crisis that mm -hmm. said these are the times that try men's souls a summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this season shrink from the duty of their country. But those who defend it now deserve the love and respect of all man and woman. And he said, tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. And, and that which we receive too easily, we esteem too lightly. And it's so inspiring that Washington has it reprinted and passed out to the remainder of the Continental Forces. They marched the 11 miles. The only deaths were those who froze to death on the worst snowstorm in Eastern seaboard history. They crossed the frozen Delaware and on Christmas, they surprise the Hessians while everyone else is waking up to a warm fire and a turkey dinner or whatever it was they would celebrate. But these continental forces contend and defeat the Hessians and turn the tide of the war. Yeah. Look, it's like Gideon. 
The one to remain, one person in God constitutes a majority. But the testing of our faith comes when the odds are stacked against us. And if you think California is hopeless, then I, I just ask you this question. How big is your God? Sure. I mean, you're running from what? An opportunity to contend for freedom of your neighbors and to love them mm. like you love yourself, which is yeah. the second greatest commandment? Yeah. Why are you running? And and what do you hope to preserve? Because the cancer is going to spread. Sure. And the cancer yeah. is the unwillingness to contend in the ecclesia. That's good. Um I think this mindset that's led us to this is something that people take on personally as well when they hit, you know, something that presents an obstacle or an enemy to them. Instead of saying, well, I need to stand and fight. Perhaps this is what I was created for. Maybe this is the time Uh, we're looking for a back door or a way out. Um, And I think we often fail to see the hope that's found in moments like this. Um, As we conclude, can you define hope? And then talk to us about where the hope is found right now, not only in California, across the country, and for individuals who are struggling. Hope is a perspective. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Their greatest political hero had died, the king. Everything that they thought was going to be accomplished wasn't, and they were all scared And it was Isaiah who saw the Lord high and lifted up. I'm not responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible for being faithful. And Churchill said the man was cursed to have been born in uninteresting times. That's (laughs) not true for us. Right. We've been born for such a time as this. And the perspective is to realize, remember who you are. When God delivered the Hebrews from the Egyptians and they got to the other side, he had them build a memorial, a statue to remember the longest running family meal in world history is the Passover. And the whole point of it is to remember you were once slaves and now you're free. Remember who you are. You're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You're not a slave to any man. You have been given inalienable rights. You've been endowed by your creator. He has, he has come that you'd have life and life more abundant and that you, that no weapon fashioned against you will stand. He didn't call you to run. He said, having done all, stand. Yes. Ephesians yes. 6, having done all, stand. And, and the perspective is this. You're immortal until God's done with you. Yeah. You have nothing to be afraid of. And the reason why you're afraid or you're discouraged, and discouraged just simply means without courage. The reason why you're discouraged is you're afraid of losing something that's temporal. <laughs> and you're unwilling to contend for something that's eternal. That's and every person who's gone before you who secured this freedom... You're going to look at your children and say, you know, they did it for me, but I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to run. And the perspective is, remember who you are. David took on Goliath, a nine foot, 10 inch giant. Paralyzed the Hebrews for 40 days. A ruddy boy goes out and takes him down. They called him a giant. They called him a champion. They called him Goliath by name. David never said those names. He said, He's a reproach and a defiler of the armies of Israel. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. And he invoked three names for God. Jehovah, which is his personal name, always assigned to an attribute. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Tzedekinu, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha. He called him the living God because the Philistines had to bring Dagon out on a cart. 
and he called him the Lord of hosts, surrounded by angels that hadn't fallen, two-thirds. One angel took out, what, 187,000 Assyrians. And he walks out there with two strings and a pouch (laughs) with a Leviathan covered in bronze, scaled bronze with a small hole in front. And in a run, he spins and lets that thing go, which is an impossible shot. I'm certain the angels help. He takes that giant down because he invoked the names of God. And what he was saying when, when Goliath, when, when Goliath trash talked him, David looked at him and he said, it is true that your weapons are, your earthly weapons are far superior than my own. But basically he said, what you don't understand, Goliath, is this isn't a battle between you and me. I'm just an instrument in the hands of a mighty God. Yep. This battle's against you and, and the Lord. And you've opened up a can of Jesus. You're not going to get the lid on. And he took him down. And, and the reality is this isn't your fight. This is the Lord's fight. He just wants you to be a faithful instrument, a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon. Be faithful and stand. Quit running. He didn't call you to run. He called you to stand. And, and you are immortal until God's done with you. You have nothing to be afraid of. No weapon fashioned against you will stand, and you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And you will win the day. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, thank you so much for that. Where can people follow you, find out more about you, learn about the church? Uh, what would you like to point them to? I, yes, you want to watch my sermons, it'll cure insomnia. <laughs> uh, you, you can go to godspeak.com. Yeah. Um, you, whatever I'm doing, you can find there. Awesome. Uh, any way it can be of help to you. I'm so grateful for what you do. I, I, I'm, I'm blessed by your ministry. You know, the, these folks have been forgotten hmm. and what they've had to endure, especially with the industrial war complex and how they've just been cast aside. What we did in Afghanistan is heart wrenching. I love our veterans, our first responders. We treat them yeah. like heroes and now we're firing them because they won't take a clock yeah. shot. Yeah. Bless you. Thank you. And, and yeah, they can check out godspeak.com. <laughs> But forget me, I'm rubber, you're glue. Mm. Whatever they wanted to do, they may, let them do it for you. Sure. Bounces off me, sticks to you. Support your ministry. You are amazing. God bless you, friend. Thank you, Pastor McCoy. Appreciate it. What an incredible conversation. Uh, I love the clarity with which uh, Pastor McCoy, Rob, <laughs> walked us through uh, what the Bible says about being engaged in our culture, being engaged in our society and the work that God desires to do through believers. Uh, So clear, so thankful for that as we struggle through some of these things and the uncertainty that these times have brought. I appreciate that voice that says this is exactly what God desires and this is our time. Let's stand up for what's right. So grateful for that and I would encourage you to go and check out the church and all that they are doing. Very, very grateful for their influence and their testimony in California and again, as I mentioned at the beginning, of, uh, of this conversation really across the country. So thankful for him and thankful for his time. I'll remind you, as I do every week, as we leave in life, you only have two choices. Uh, difficulties will come. Trials will come. Uh, life can be overwhelming. The enemy will present himself. And when it happens, you only have two choices. You can stay where you are and die. That's a decision that you can make. Just giving up. (laughs) Maybe you're breathing, but inside and in every uh, real way, you have given up, you're dead. Or you can put one foot in front of the other and march. Will you march or will you die? The choice is always yours. Thank you. I'll talk to you next week. 
Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.